Back in 2019, our church took a pilgrimage to Israel. We had, I think, 25 of us that went and did a tour of the Holy Lands. It was an incredible experience. Uh, so uh, much so that I really had hoped to be going back this year, but for obvious reasons, or next year, but obviously that's going to be impossible right now. Uh, I, I think about that trip constantly, and there are like really amazing moments on that trip that stand out, like, you know, being in the place where they think Jesus was executed. Uh, and there are also just these ordinary moments that stand out for me. One of those ordinary moments was a drive by the Dead Sea. So we were on a tour bus, we were driving up uh, in the wilderness of Judea um, and, and next to the Dead Sea, and it's just all dirt. I mean, it's just all sand and rocks. And in fact, I actually pulled my phone out and I started videotaping the drive. Would you play? I got a little video. Will you play my video? So I'm just videoing this drive. I know you can't see it great. Drew always tells me to turn the camera to the side. Anyway, uh, I'm videotaping this drive and it's just rocks. I mean, it's just dirt and desert. And that's kind of everywhere as far as you can see. Um, and then kind of out of the blue as I'm driving, um, I pick up my phone again because everything changes. And we're driving through this wilderness, and all of a sudden, I see this huge number of date trees, um, just an enormous like garden orchard of date trees in the middle of the desert growing up like, like this oasis. And they just kept going and going, and there were mature trees, and there were baby trees. And I, it was just kind of amazing, right? And as we're driving through this wilderness, I'm like, how in the world are all these trees growing in the middle of the desert? So our, our tour guide talked about it. He said this is um, in some of the, the moderns of, his, of modern Israeli agriculture. I don't, hydroponic, it's something about small amounts of water they use to grow these trees. Anyway, it's just incredible. And as you're driving um, down that road in the middle of the desert and you suddenly see these flourishing gardens, you cannot help but think about Isaiah 35, right? The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly. I don't know what a crocus is. Um, it's fine. I'll ask um, Rick Barnes later. Um, the burning sand shall become a pool. The thirsty ground springs of water. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. It's this idea that this desert becomes this lush beautiful place. It's, it's literally happening out there in that desert that Isaiah was talking about. Um, but I, I, I think it's also kind of metaphorically what's happening in the background of this story in the Gospel of Mark. So, uh, in the Gospel of Mark, in this section, Jesus is going to, to spiritual deserts, right? He's going to these spiritual wildernesses where nothing's growing, where there are no Jewish people, there are no people following the Lord, following Yahweh. There are, uh, in fact, um, histories of great antagonism between both places Jesus goes and these stories and, and the Jewish people, the chosen people. Uh, and as He goes, He goes into the wilderness with this goal, I think, of making the desert blossom, right? Making these spiritual deserts grow. Uh, so, I, I want to think a little bit about um, what He's doing and, and, and how He's doing it. So, um, I, I know that the geography is helpful here. So, I actually have a map, if you put my map up for a second. Um, so, Jesus goes to two locations in our story. 
Um, you can see near the bottom of the map, you see Judea, and Judea is the region right in the, uh, close to the middle of that is where you have Jerusalem. And then that blue section above Judea is Samaria. And then above that is Galilee. The orange sections, Judea and Galilee, those are the Jewish sections, okay? That's where uh, the Jewish people are. Galilee is where Jesus does most of His ministry. It's where Nazareth is. It's where Capernaum is, etc. Uh, and then uh, to, the, to the northwest, so to the left and up of Galilee, you see Phoenicia, and one of the cities on the coast there is Tyre. That's where this first story takes place. Jesus leaves Galilee, goes north out of Galilee to this Gentile region of Tyre. Uh, and then we're told he goes all the way north to Sidon, which is the very top dot on our map. And then he circles back south and he goes to the Decapolis, which is that purple region. Um, both Phoenicia, Phoenicia and the Decapolis are Gentile territories. And Jesus is going out of his way to avoid running into any other Jewish people. Super interesting, okay? So he goes to Tyre, and then, as far as we can tell, for this one conversation with this one woman, and then he leaves and he goes to the Decapolis, which he's only visited one time before when he cast out the legion of demons into the pigs, okay? Uh, so just real, you can take that down, thank you. Just real quick, I, I want you to remember or, or know a little bit about the Decapolis and a little bit about Tyre. So the Decapolis, uh, Deca means ten, polis means city. It's, it's ten cities that are Gentile in origin. But the tradition of this area is that these are the ancestors of the Canaanites. Now, I don't know if they are biologically the ancestors, but this is the tradition in Jesus' time, is that the ancestors of all those nations that lived in Canaan, lived in the land of Israel before the Israelites got there, when they were forced out, they went to this area that we call the Decapolis. So, uh, there's a passage in Deuteronomy 7 where Moses says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are about to enter and occupy, and He clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. Um, so, those seven nations are like the original enemies of Israel. After Egypt, these are their bad guys, right? Uh, and they are now in the Decapolis, their ancestors are, these seven nations. And that's where Jesus goes. And our second story to work this miracle of healing uh, a man who cannot hear and cannot speak. Uh, and obviously, there's great significance here. So much is going on. But briefly, um, uh, in this spiritual wilderness, in this spiritual desert, Jesus goes, and we come back to Isaiah 35 again, because the ears of the deaf are unstopped, and the tongue of the speechless sings for joy, right? Jesus is, is planting um, something in that garden. Remember, Israel is supposed to be this Eden, right? This place where God and humans are in right relationship with each other and with creation, but Jesus is going into the wilderness to make things grow. Okay, um, that's the capitalist, but we're going to spend most of our time in Tyre today, okay, because the Tyre story is just so great. Uh, so, Tyre is a city that is traditionally also an enemy of Israel. Um, it's a really wealthy city. Uh, at the time of Jesus, um, remember Jesus lives in kind of a farming and fishing community, right? They are like regular folk, and they make the money farming and fishing, and a lot of the goods that they produce get taken up um, by the mar merchant community, like the people in Tyre. Uh, and you know how this works. Like, if you're farming, you make a little bit of money, and then the guy that sells your stuff who didn't really do anything makes a whole lot of money, right? That, that's how it is in their time, too. And so, the people of Tyre are really affluent and rich. The people of Galilee, where Jesus is from, not so much. 
We also have a long history of um, Tyre being perceived as a, a wealthy, oppressive power. In fact, there's a great passage in Ezekiel, if you get bored, um, where it describes the king of Tyre as Satan, like straight up Satan. It's really weird. It's great. Fun times. Um, so, in the midst of all of this uncomfortableness about this city, um, we get this conversation between um, Jesus and this woman. Uh, and um, even before we get to their uncomfortable conversation, um, I think we're supposed to recognize this is an uncomfortable environment. Jesus should not be here. I mean, His disciples should not be here. This is not where good little Jewish boys and girls go to follow their rabbis around and learn to be good disciples of, of the Lord. Uh, and so, um, we are recognizing in the beginning of the story that Jesus somehow has this interest and passion uh, of going to places that don't know Him, right, that, that are spiritual deserts and bringing growth. This is hugely important for us. Uh, I, just, I just read a book called iGen, uh, like iPhone generation. I'm going to be talking about this for like months. It was really impactful for me. But it's about the generation of people who grew up uh, who were born after 1995. See, these are all um, young people who um, have grown up with smartphones who don't remember a time before the internet. And, and the, the, the sociological research on this community is super interesting, and a lot of it is really good. Like the kids in the iGen or the young people in the, uh, in the iGen uh, in general do less drugs and drink less alcohol than previous generations. Uh, they tend to be safer drivers than previous generations, those didn't bother to get driver's license. Uh, they tend to be uh, better, uh, they have a better work ethic than like my generation and, and um, the generation after me. Uh, they, they tend to be um, safer and a whole lot of really good, there's a lot going on for them. But one other thing that's really obvious about this younger generation is that they are disproportionately disconnected from religion. And now, we know that every young group of people, you know, always tends to roam away from their faith and many of them come back. But, but compared to previous generations, um, this iGen is much more disconnected than we were or our parents or their parents were. And um, there is a component of this becoming almost uh, a spiritual wilderness. Um, it's still a minority, but it's a growing minority of our young people that just have no exposure to church at all. And I think this is really a critical idea for us, that if we are going to be like Jesus trying to make things grow in desert places, we got to be out there in the deserts, right? So, uh, since, since COVID, uh, we've had 122 people join our church. That's pretty cool. Uh, of that 122 people that joined, 31 of them were young adults who joined us through confirmation, right? So, young people in the iGen that said, hey, we want to grow up and become part of this church. And that's super exciting. Like, I'm really excited about that. We're going to talk a little bit later about um, some youth group stuff I'm excited about. Um, but I think we're working on this, right? We are trying to be where um, our young people are um, this is actually part of the reason that we started our contemporary service, and we're tweaking it and changing with it and trying to make it more applicable for more people. But the whole idea of that service was to say, hey, how do we reach out to people that might like a different style or a different type of worship so that they feel welcomed and comfortable here so this could be a place where they might come and grow? Uh, the, the other piece of this that strikes me as interesting, so I, I said 122 people since COVID, 31 of them were young people in that iGen component. Um, 32 of them 
uh, were adults who joined us from other churches, which is awesome, right? We love it when, I mean, we love to get Christians from anywhere. We just, come on, hang out with us. Um, but almost twice that, well, yeah, I think it was 57, so almost twice as many people who came to us from other churches came to us from no church. And that really gets me excited, right? So we're bringing in more people who don't know Jesus than we are bringing in people that do know Jesus, or at least more people that don't have a church already uh, than, than stealing people from, from churches that are already around us. Uh, and, and that's who we want to be, right? We want to be a church that's about going in the wilderness and trying to make it bloom, right? Finding people who maybe don't have a church connection and inviting them to be part of our family. Uh, and that's not about a program. That's about people, right? That's about what you do. Uh, and almost every one of those people that's come to our church has come because somebody invited them. So, uh, actually, as you leave today, um, there will be folks at the doors, and they're going to have these little invitation cards um, for Christmas Eve. We would love for you to be thinking about um, maybe somebody who doesn't have a church in your family or amongst your friends or amongst your coworkers or a neighbor that you might invite to come and worship with us here. Um, because kind of like with Jesus in the Decapolis and in Tyre, when word spreads about Him, it's kind of hard to keep it under wraps. And so, um, we have this incredible responsibility uh, to not just do church here, but to carry the story of Jesus out, out there, right, and let other people know and come to know the story um, that's changed our lives. Okay, uh, so, boy, I um, hope you don't have any afternoon plans. All right, um, so… First, we have uh, Jesus going into the wilderness to make it blossom, right? Uh, and then um, we have this wild conversation that happens between Jesus and this woman. Uh, so, the woman comes up and she bows at His feet and she begs Him to cast out a demon. And He says, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Raise your hand if that makes you uncomfortable. <laughs> makes me uncomfortable, right? Uh, makes me uncomfortable because I really believe that Jesus is a person of compassion and love and grace, and I'm really not into racial epithets and like calling names um, of individuals, but, but much less of whole groups of people. It's, it's really an awkward moment. Uh, now, the woman's response is amazing, and we're going to talk about the woman's response in a minute. That's where we're going to end. But, but before we do that, um, I think there's something really important about Jesus' response. It's not just, um, hey, the Jews didn't like the people from Tyre, because they didn't, but it's not just that. I think Jesus recognizes that uh, if you go into the desert offering sand, nothing will grow. If you go in the desert offering sand, nothing will grow. Uh, if Jesus goes into these other places, these spiritual wildernesses, and He just offers them what they already know, what they already believe, what they're already hoping for, He's not going to make any difference. And so, um, Jesus comes to this woman, or rather, this woman comes to Jesus, uh, and, and she says, hey, I need to be healed. And He has this deep concern. He does not want her to believe that she is healed for the wrong reasons. Uh, it, it's not enough to say, hey, Jesus can heal. Lots of people did a lot of amazing things in the ancient world. And by the way, like, there's coincidences, right? I mean, people, um, you know, we pray for somebody and they get better, and how do we know if it's God or a coincidence or whatever? And so, Jesus is like, hey, you know what? Um, before I do anything for your daughter, you absolutely need to know who is doing it for your daughter. You need to know, like, what's going on behind this. And behind this is this radical idea of this covenant 
the sacred agreement that God has made with Israel, that at this point, Israel is this sacred chosen people uh, that God sees as His children. And that's not a small thing. It's not an incidental thing. It's not something God just casts out randomly. It's this sacred agreement that He's made. And and what Jesus wants this woman to recognize uh, is what His Jewish audience might take for granted, that His power His miracles come from a particular God named Yahweh. Jesus has a tendency to be scandalous, right? Jesus has a tendency to be offensive. He does it a lot. He doesn't just do it to this woman in Tyre. He calls His own religious leaders a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. He scandalizes His family, and He scandalizes His neighbors, and He scandalizes His hometown. He's just running around offending people all over the place. And He's not doing it for no reason, right? Jesus is uh, offensive because He wants us to recognize that there is something in us that is bothered by what He offers, uh, that, that the story of grace is not as simple as, oh, I want it and you give it to me and I go on my happy way, but in fact, I don't always want it. I don't always want what Jesus has to offer. In fact, very often, I'd like to have my own thing. And Jesus, when, you know, when our interests align, let's be buddies. But otherwise, I kind of want to do it on my own. Um, I, I, there's, a, <laughs> there's a Beatles song called I Get By With A Little Help From My Friends. What's that song called? Is it Help? No, that's I Need Somebody Help. Doesn't matter. It's a Beatles song. Uh, I Get By With A Little Help From My Friends. I think sometimes this is how we think about our faith right? I just need a little bit of help from God. Um, Hey, God, in this moment, I need a little bit of help. If you give me a little bit of help, I'll be good. Um, But then, you know, go help somebody else. It's fine. I'm all set. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people, and I've said this myself too, where I've said, hey, how can I pray for you? And they've said, hey, it's okay. I'm doing great. I'm sure there's somebody who needs it more than me. Ooh, which, which we say to be gracious, right? We say it to be kind. But what we're saying is, my life's pretty together. Go think about those other broken people more, right? And Jesus is saying, no, that, you know, if you think that, you don't get it yet. Because really, like, your life is not together. And really, you're not who I need you to be yet. And, and really, um, if you were compared to, like, what you're supposed to be, you'd be more like a dog than a person. You've got a lot of change that needs to happen before you're who God wants you to be. So Jesus does these scandalous comments. Uh, I think the scandal for us today is the idea that Jesus is the only way for us, right? Um, it, it's funny because when, when the gospel message begins to spread throughout the Jewish world and the Gentile world in the time of Jesus and the time of the apostles afterwards, the scandalous thing then was that it was too easy to be a Christian, right? Too easy to be saved. What do you mean all I have to do is put my faith and trust in this guy who died for me? I also have to get circumcised, right? And I have to obey the law and I have to eat certain foods and wear certain clothes and offer right sacrifices. And, and the church said, no, it's so much easier than that. And it was scandalous. And today it's the opposite, right? Today it's just too hard hey, uh, I love all this grace and compassion and peace and love and acceptance, but this whole thing about Jesus being the only way, uh, that's very exclusive. And I think, again, Jesus says, hey, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't mind if I scandalize you. I don't mind if I upset you. Um, You've got to decide if you can get past that. You've got to decide if what you want is worth 
giving up your pride and your certainty and your self-righteousness and your self-centeredness and saying, hey, you know what, Jesus? I need you as desperately as anyone has ever needed you. This is the, um, the uncomfortableness of this conversation. And then we get the beautiful response of this woman. I mean, if you, not, if you want to think about what faith looks like, think about the Syrophoenician woman. She kicks my butt, right? So, I mean, she comes to Jesus and she begins by bowing down at His feet and begging for His help. And He says, uh, I don't know, I'm not sure if you understand who I am. I'm not sure if you know what God to attribute the credit to if I heal your daughter. I'm not sure if you're yet ready to say um, that you'll put aside all of your pride um, to recognize that this exclusive way through Israel is, is the way of life and hope and wholeness for the world. And the woman, um, the woman says, hey, you know what? I get it. Um, that we haven't had like anybody so far in the Bible, who's, in the Gospel of Mark, who has got it as much as this woman gets it, right? Every time Jesus gives a metaphor to the disciples, they're like, we don't understand what you're talking about. Like over and over and over, it's embarrassing, right? They're like living with Him 24-7. They don't get it. This woman has been with Him for like 30 seconds, and He gives this spiritual metaphor. Not only does she understand it, um, but she applies it in the right way. She says, hey, you know what? Uh, I understand that there's this sacred covenant between Israel and God. I understand that I'm not inside that yet, but boy, I'd like to be. Boy, I'd, I'd like to be the sort of person who could be at the table with the family of God. And if I can't be sitting at the table as a child, I'll be under the table for the scraps, but I just want to be with you because I think you are where it's at. Uh, one of the authors I read this week um, wrote about this woman. He said, uh, the humble woman in this story does not abase herself so that she becomes a doormat. She aggressively seeks help and will not turn away. She is like the men who dig through the roof to lower their friend to Jesus. She is like the woman who relentlessly pushes her way through the crowd to touch His garment. She is like the widow who knew no shame and screamed out daily in the court of the wicked judges for justice. She will not be put off. She shows a dogged determination to get help for her daughter. She knows that she is unworthy, but that does not keep her from believing that she and her daughter are worth healing. This is so beautiful for us. If we want to understand how life blooms in the wilderness, if we want to understand how, how things begin to grow in our spiritual deserts, not just out there, but in here in our lives, we've we got to begin with the response of this woman uh, to say, hey, you know what, Jesus, I'm not going to be offended by you. I'm not going to be pushed away by you. I'm going to recognize uh, that I will give up everything to get what you alone can give me. And um, I believe, um, I believe that um, when we get into this hubris of thinking that we only need a little bit of help from God, and when we think that it takes only a little work to make a desert bloom or to make the deaf hear or to make the mute speak, um, we miss out on the full life that Jesus has for us. Dwight Moody says, Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were full of themselves. Ooh, I really like that. Jesus sent no one away empty except those who were full of of themselves. Jesus is not inviting us into a woe-is-me, self-flagellation, guilt-centered existence. He's simply saying that we have to recognize our own desert nature. Just as the people out there are uh, a desert in need of God's help to bloom, so the people in here are too. And being a dog isn't a pejorative, it's just a reality. 
But if we long for even the crumbs from His table, if we long um, for what Christ gives us so much so that we're willing to give up our pride and everything that holds us back, we begin to recognize that He gives us not just crumbs but our daily bread, not just as dogs but as children. Once we get that, He elevates us to the table. We come to Jesus as dogs and we leave as daughters. So this is uh, the invitation in this season of Advent. We are called to be a people like Jesus that go out into the wilderness and invite Christ to bring life. Um, We go out in the wilderness and we recognize that we offer something other than sand. We offer this life and this life-giving water and this hope uh, of the radical story of Jesus. Um, We recognize that we need that same story and that all it takes is everything that we have. All it takes is a willingness to say that nothing is enough without Jesus, and with Jesus, everything is, is more than enough. And then when we get it, life begins to bloom in the desert. Then the deaf can hear, and the mute can speak, and the forces of evil are overthrown. Our path forward is not about avoiding the scandal of Jesus. It's about inviting people um, to trust in Jesus over and above the scandal, as we were first invited to recognize that He alone is our source of daily bread for all people. Who gets to be redeemed? Who gets to walk on the holy way? Who gets to be children? Who gets to be fed? Who gets to be opened to the presence of God? The answer is everybody, everybody who comes to Christ.